0: Hi, welcome to season two, episode zero of Ludo Narrative Dissidents. In this season, we are going to be looking at more than just individual games, although we are going to be reviewing RPGs as voted by people who back our uh, Kickstarter campaign, Uh, which is underway right now. There will be links in the show notes. In this episode, we are going to be trying a new type of a show where we are looking at game mechanics. In each episode, we will be looking at a type of game mechanics and sort of doing a survey of this game mechanic as presented in multiple systems. First off, we would like to thank everybody who backed season one and also who's listened to season one, all of season one, of a uh, lot of narrative dissidents should be on the our public mirror site on um, anchor.fm of course it will be linked in well if you're listening to this it's on our anchor site thank you for all the kind comments and uh, we've had a, a great time just talking about rpgs but i wanted to try uh, something new and i thought this would be uh, game mechanics are always fun who, who doesn't want to argue about alignment systems <laughs> <laughs> in this episode we're going to be talking about card mechanics like in our review episodes where we have uh, four questions about an individual RPG we have some questions for this how, and the first question is how do you define this mechanic so how do I define card mechanic uh, briefly I would define them as a system in a role-playing game that uses cards of some kind now there, there are yeah it's hard to define cards.
1: it without yeah. using the word cards it's like yeah. You know, cards. You know what cards are. They're so basic that there aren't even really synonyms for playing cards. Or if well, there are, yeah. I didn't find them.
0: Yeah. Um, and there are multiple types of cards that are used in games. Um, James, uh, how, how would you define being someone who has written a game with cards?
2: Yes, I've, I've designed um, two, God, possibly three, role-playing games that use cards as a... a crucial part of, of what they do. Um, I've loved the idea of, of cards in RPGs since um, the mid-'80s. Um, Ghostbusters, I think, was the first RPG I encountered that had a set of cards in it, but we'll doubtless come back, on, come back to that later. Um, Alas, Vegas, my, my self-published thing, uses uh, a deck of tarot cards um, for... Um, basically, to replace dice because it's set in a, a casino city. Um, so, what you do in contested actions is you play a version of blackjack using the cards, tarot cards. So, obviously, all the all the odds, all the probabilities are way off from what you'd normally expect. Mm-hmm. But you use the illustrations on the cards to kick off area, you know, to spark inspiration for what happens in the, in the narrative. You don't have to know tarot at all. You can use any tarot deck. Um, and that, that works pretty well. I was never 100% happy with how it worked. It's, it fits the idiom of the game really nicely. Um, and then there's also a, uh, a thing where each of the characters gets one of the cards right at the start, which signify it's called their signifier. And it says something about who they are within the, the world. Las Vegas is an amnesia game. I think I've referred to this in, in, in season one. And, um, so you start off, your character sheet is literally blank. You know nothing about yourself except this tarot card. And what other... You describe yourself physically. You don't even know your name. And then other players can describe something about you as well. The stuff that you'd forgotten or didn't notice. Like the big scar across your face. Or the dragon tattoo on your back. Or whatever it is. You're um like fly is down. It's well. You start off naked, so uh, oh everyone, great! Do, Even, yeah, <laughs> you dig yourself out of a shallow grave, and you're na- Everyone's naked, so yeah. It's it's you, you're a blank canvas apart from this tarot card, and that works pretty well. I'm I, I like it because it fits the Vegas idiom. I don't like it because it's not quite as polished as I like my work to be. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one I designed was was Paranoia, the Paranoia reboot, uh, which came out the same year, which I think was 2017 or 2018. Um, and that that was an interesting project because the publisher actually came to us and said, we want this to be card-based. We want card-based mechanics in this. And we said, what, no dice? And they went, no dice as well. Um And I said, well, why cards? Well, because we're the publisher and we're paying you. So, fair enough. And we we did essentially a card-based combat system for that. Mm -hmm. Um, And card-based equipment as well.
1: Yours is just to make it fly. Yes.
2: Um, But there are also decks of cards for your secret abilities and for your secret societies. Mm. And I think for equipment as well. Um, yeah. Within the game, and we'll come onto that using cards as resources, cards as, as yeah. Um, yeah signifiers, which is that's essentially what Ghostbusters did. Oh, oh, but we'll yeah. we'll come back to that. Okay. Um, and that yeah. was that was really fun. That was a, it was quite slapstick because the idea of a, what we wanted to model was a combat that starts off and you think things are kind of under control, and it just spirals madly into just absolute chaos um grant howard and paul dean were my co-designers on on that and if you know grant's work it's it's very grant the combat Mm -hmm. system it's just it's perfectly paranoia um that was really i mean it was a lot of fun to play test um and that i'm really pleased with the way all of that works
0: yeah um i think in uh yeah we'll talk about this more briefly but like around that period uh i noticed several rpgs Um, using cards uh, in optional or perhaps like RPGs like are susceptible to trends and fads as any other (laughs) industry. So um, we'll talk about that. I think um, just one thing for me for defining uh, card mechanics, it's almost always used in some way or often used as a way of randomization, uh, as opposed to dice, because role playing, Games are games. And uh, there is often an element, uh, almost always an element of chance in role-playing games in order to create variety and tension um, and uh, excitement. So, um, Greg, is there anything else uh, left about defining it before we start? Yeah, I was just
1: going to, well, I was going to, uh, I wanted to start with a warning that I am probably going to describe a game I designed and never got made Uh, It's called Gates of Ivory, and yeah, if any publisher is listening to this and is like, (laughs) I can't believe this gem has been left to molder. It's almost completely done. I never, there was a piece missing until we started doing this podcast, and I realized, oh, I can fix the one problem that always nagged me about it by making it player-facing, boom, Mm. sorted. So, yeah, I could dust that off tomorrow, but- Uh, It was card based and tarot based. And so to me, cards are, I'm like, everyone knows what cards are. They are these uh, cardboard objects that you can fan them, you can manipulate them. uh, And for tabletop role playing games, it's usually tarot or a 52 jacks and kings deck or something that is bespoke to the deck and as james was talking and as you were talking about you know oh well there was this little period where there were were cards and games and it was like a fad i'm like yeah cards and tabletop role-playing games are like what seem to have that one of those relationships where it's like they never really settle down and get along but they never fully break up either. They just—it's kind sort of like
0: 3D in movies. Like it comes and goes <laughs> in waves, you know. Um, yeah, it'll,
1: yeah, it'll be back. It will be back. So I'm just waiting. I, I, for
2: the I, I don't think it's like there is. There are no movies out there that rely on 3D to work. All right, apart from Avatar. Um, Guess what? And, Avatar's
0: coming back.
2: <laughs> oh God, I know. Um, <laughs> and I, I could. I was going to say I can't yeah. wait. I can wait. But um, there are a lot of a lot of the games that are based around cards, um, and even some of the early ones. The cards are integral; they would not work with dice mm-hmm. systems. You can't just take the cards out and rely on the game to work. Oh yeah, without yeah. It. I'm not arguing. It's like that. Amber Diceless. You can't go. Oh, I'd like to run this with dice. It doesn't. <laughs> it's Amber it's, Dicey. It's, it... yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. I mean, some of them. Yes, it's it's a little superfluous, but the cards. I mean, purely from a. Dealing with cards, having a hand of cards, having cards to manipulate is very different to manipulating yeah. dice. The tactile experience on, on the desktop, uh-huh. they deal with randomness in a different way. If you've uh-huh. got a deck, uh-huh. deck of 52 cards, you deal them out. You know you're going to get a number between 1 and 13 four times. You well, break dice 52 times, you've no idea what you're going to get.
0: Well, also, um, when you, uh, uh, with the cards, once you play a certain card, like the Six of Diamonds... Uh, and you put it yeah. in a separate deck, it's gone. Like, it's not like if you roll a six on a D6, that six is now gone. Like, uh, so just even if you just had six custom cards, one through six, once you take a card out, like that changes everything about the probability and uh, distribution. So yeah, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot yes. of changes, both subtle and overt. Um, I think um, in general, in terms of categorizing them, um, we should, we, we've been talking about, uh, uh, there, there are three broad Types of well, there's playing card games, uh, games that use playing cards, games that use tarot cards, and then games that use custom cards. Sometimes those custom cards are mapped on to 52 cards, uh, <clears throat> so you can use playing cards to substitute, but each like the six of diamonds represents this, it's like a random table. Uh, but a lot of times they're like you said, Greg, uh, bespoke. Um, and uh, I think that's happens a lot. Like there is a uh role playing game, I, I uh, Warhammer Wrath and Glory. Uh, which was uh, first published by the German uh, Ulysses, but then uh, Cubicle 7 took it, uh, and they have a lot of optional decks of cards for, like, critical hits. Just pull a card from this deck for critical hits or for player character psychic abilities, you know, uh, Perils of the Warp deck. But, like, it's entirely optional. Like, it's just, this is the trend is, like, games from about that period from, like, you know, the mid-2010s to, like, the late-2010s were kind of like oh let's add in some decks of cards as extra accessories we can sell like it's and I, cheap and easy and doesn't really change the game design that much so
1: i wonder how much of that was a market factor where it's like oh it's really cheap to print cards now because all mm-hmm. the card printing places are rolling in trading card game money and so they've ramped up capacity And with capacity up now, you can get a custom card deck made for pennies on the dollar, and it looks good, rather than having it, you know, rather than the way it was Mm pre-Magic.
2: Actually, it's more the transition to digital printing over traditional offset Litho that made the difference, that you could do a much smaller run economically mm-hmm. the other thing and why a lot of indie games started doing this um i don't i don't know the exact date but i would guess about five years or so ago is because drive through rpg because started yeah, offering a cards. card printing bespoke card printing option mm-hmm. which they're running with the game crafter um and you know you can do one deck of cards economically yeah. it's not going to be Ridiculously cheap, but it used to be you wanted one deck of cards, that will be a four-figure sum. Um, back in the Hogshead days, we were looking at doing card-based games and, and stuff, and it was just no, this is not not affordable <laughs> in, in any way. Just don't want to take out that second mortgage. Mm-hmm. It's well, I mean if you look at a lot of card games in the early pre-magic. First edition Once Upon a Time, which is not a role-playing game, but is a storytelling card game, which I'm intimately involved with. The first edition of that was printed on regular cardstock. Um, mm-hmm. Not laminated, not not playing cardstock at all, just regular cardstock. And it was difficult to shuffle, and it was difficult to hold in your hand, and the cards have square corners. And it was unpleasant, but a lot of games did that, because that was the only way you could you could make it affordable, that definitely
0: has, yeah, the material conditions being a lot easier to to get, mm-hmm. get these kind of components into into players' hands. Uh, yeah, the print. Yeah, I, I imagine I have changed a lot of game design. Um, I have been looking at a lot of like like itch.io games. I've been like going through bundles, um, you know, get three hundred games for five bucks to support this this you know charitable cause. Um, Can we just
2: salute itch for doing yeah. that and for making that so yeah. easy? They raised so much money for so many good causes. It's yeah. also. If you're not on those bundles, get on those bundles. My God, they're good deals.
0: Yeah, Wonder, Wonder Home, and a lot of other really great games have been in uh, some of the recent ones. But I've been looking at a lot, a lot of the no-name games and a lot of the, like one or two-page games, and like a lot of games are using. There is a, a um, preference for using like plain, uh, just playing cards, just just like, and also just like regular d sixes for as as components as what you need for to play the game. I think there is sort of a. Uh, a tendency for uh, the Indian storyteller game designers to like make it more accessible by having easily available components as opposed to like, right fancy dice and you know uh, custom card print out this custom card like there's a lot of like print and play card games but like mm-hmm. that yeah that a lot but of effort to yeah. Do. yeah
1: yeah unless you sl- I mean you're either gonna have them be chunky or flimsy or sleeved and none of those are great. Mm-mm,
0: yeah. Uh, unless you're playtesting something, in <laughs> which case you're a lot more m- motivated than the average player. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> unless you're is. a maniac like us. Um, yeah. Uh, so, OK. So, yeah, yeah we've, we've touched on the, the economics of it. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so how are they used in existing games? All right. I got four different ways, one of which I'm not sure I've ever seen actually used. But I just thought, hey, that would be neat. Mm -hmm. Uh, so what I've got is the dumbest, most obvious way that nobody uses is draw and drop, right? Is, oh, we've got a deck in the center. We're going to, this is going to be our randomizer. It's a two. And unless for some weird perverse reason, you just really wanted there to be a, you know, that you wanted that weird card curve and non-recurrence rather Mm -hmm. than rolling dice I'm like, yeah. Um, I mean, this was used really well in the quiet year. Uh, that's because there you've got a, a drive for randomness, but also non recurrence. So, but for the most part, you know, trying to make dice, uh, trying to make cards be dice isn't great.
2: That system does work if the cards aren't simply numerical values or even suit values, but if they if you can't represent something as as with the Quiet Year, where you draw the card, you refer to it. Assuming you were using a standard deck, then you go to the table and you find out what that card refers to.
1: Or the mm-hmm. Everway Fortune Deck, which I'll I'll talk about in a little bit. There, non recurrence is definitely a feature,
2: but uh, mm. yeah. Also the Beast, which I'm going to talk about later on.
1: If you've got a 52-card deck, um, Mm -hmm. you've got dual axis on... You've got your suit and your number. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is also with the minor arcana in tarot cards. So for this game, Gates of Ivory, that I was talking about, I'm like, okay, you got four stats. They're the four suits of the tarot. You're statted 1 to 10. If you play a card that is lower than your stat gives you a temporary ta- stat boost. if you play a card that's higher than your stat, you go to that. So even the weakest person can occasionally have that 10 result. and this is uh, you know gives you two kinds of a- uh, of information and mm-hmm. also allows and this is a little more of why it's used, but I'll come back so I'll come back to it. Mm-hmm. but it's tactical deployment, right? You can't roll a bunch of dice and say, "Okay, I'm going to save this 20 for when I really need a 20." You you take what you get from the dice. They are full chaos agents. But when you have a handful of cards, you're like, "Eh, I'm just going to waste this 2 on this. This get this is not an important this is not an important outcome. I'm going to blow the 2 on it, suck up the failure, but set myself, you know, get a better draw." Uh, so that's, that's an option is you can be very tactical and strategic with cards. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you can use them to be super duper right brain and fuzzy and magical tea party creativity stuff. Uh, one of the uses in Everway is when you are making your character the way you make a character in Everway is you have this giant pile of art cards and you just look at them and you're like, I am drawn to this image of a young woman with a llama. And that's going to be my character is llama lass. And you know, and now I'm looking at this one of the guy holding the tomahawk and he has six fingers for some reason. And so the six fingered man is part of, part of my character backstory and now here's a picture where it's raining fire, but it's not like a destructive fire. Everyone's just okay with it. Cool. That's where I'm from. And so you are exposed to all of this non-scientific, non-numerical, non-specific, non-backgrounded data and stimulation. And your, the creative part of your brain starts running to keep pace and you're like well how can I how can I categorize these how can I put these together why would people who lived in a land where it rains fire raise llamas well mm-hmm. and so it it unshackles you from expectation so that's a that is one thing that I really loved about everway uh it also uses it you've got a fortune deck in everway which is principles like, you know, you might draw a season, you might draw uh, an error uh, you know, Mm -hmm. a a type of archetypal error like the soldier drowns in his armor or striking the dragon's tail where you've underestimated uh, a threat or it could be there's uh, I'm going to be moving house so my Everway fortune decks are all packed up otherwise I would refer to them (laughs) <laughs> but uh, this is the sort of thing where, you know, in an encounter, you're like, okay, I'm going to deal with this guy. I don't know how things are going to go down. And the GM pulls a card and says, well, the this is the auspice under which this is occurring. And now you and the GM have to figure out what that means. And so it's very search for meaning oriented or can be done in a very search for meaning oriented way rather than a let's emulate physics with graphs way. Yeah. Um, so the idea, the other idea I had for use in existing games, but I, although I guess this is use in games that don't exist yet. Um, does, do you know of any games where you get cards and you lay them down like tiles, like creating maps? Um, Because I'm like, eh, you know, you could lay it down like Magic the Gathering, where, oh, okay, I've cast this spell, and now we know that that's happening. Um, Or, I mean, imagine a combat-heavy game where, as you're playing, you're
2: building the environment. Kind of a tableau game. Yeah, um, I'm not. I'm not actually aware of an RPG that does that. I'm sure there's something on itch, probably several on itch.
0: I do know that there are, like, uh, custom card decks that are, like, create a dungeon. Like, each card is, like, a dungeon, mm-hmm. like, m- geomorph where you can, like, rearrange and, like, lay out the cards. And, like, this is a hallway. This is an intersection. This is, like, a collection of rooms. Um, so you can build a dungeon with, through a deck of cards. There's several projects like that. Like, Deck of Dungeons, uh, which is it uh, was kickstarted a, a while back.
1: I, I, I see it with a superhero game for some reason mm-hmm. where, you know, it's like, okay, this is the, the, we start the fight in this room, but when I throw him through the wall, here's what's behind that, you know, it's a, it's a warehouse. So he lands on a forklift. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so now there's a forklift in play and, you know, oh, well, you know, out the window, there's a dumpster for me to land in. Uh, you know, here's a busy road, so that if anyone goes into there, that's dangerous. And that I can see having. I'm like, oh, so if you've if you've got a power that's movement based, like Spider Man jumping around all over the place, that would let you have a bunch of those cards where you can control the environment, or if you're uh, hyper fast. And whereas if you've just got, if you're just Cyclops, it's like, oh, yeah, instead of a bunch of environmental cards, I just have cards that blast damage. Boom.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yep, there it is. I think I've seen I've seen yeah. similar things in some of the essentially RPGs on a board, the board games with the, mm-hmm. you know that have heavy RPG influences, but are fundamentally board games and are designed to be played in a single session where you build up a, a tableau of, of powers and you can advance those powers. I'm struggling to think of a specific, partly because um, I, I don't play any of those think games. I one,
0: um, Gloomhaven, which was a uh, oh a, yeah. yeah, it's a very big board game. I played quite a few sessions of it. Um, and they actually do, they have uh, uh, cards for building out the dungeon on on tiles, but they also, um, it's entirely card-based. There's no dice rolling at all. Um, And one of the ways they use that is, and you could do this with the custom cards in, Um, the way you get a deck of uh, tiny cards that, that have numbers on them from like negative two to plus two usually. And there'll be like one negative plus two, one plus two, some zeros, some negative ones, some plus ones. And those are essentially your attack rolls. And, um, you would draw a card and, uh, that's what you, what you, you would get to hit. And you need like a plus one to hit this monster. That's how much damage you inflict on the monster. You, you inflict plus one, your normal damage or plus two, your normal damage or negative two. Um, and they use the cards in a clever way because as your character improves, levels up, you get choices on how to modify that deck. You could remove bad cards or you can add good cards. Um, and so like some of these cards would give, not just give you better numbers, give you like status effects. Like if you're like a, uh, ice wizard, you could like have, oh, well now when, whenever you draw this card you inflict plus one damage but you also inflict the ice you know, the frozen status on the enemy um, so there are RPGs that uh, so that but that's a board game but like it is an RPG like board game because you level up your character and it and there's a there's an ongoing story in a campaign um, yeah
2: there's, so, there's a bunch of those they I mean they essentially take their inspiration from computer games like Diablo they are combat systems in a dungeon. They're not, and yes, your character grows, but they grow in power, not in terms of personality. And the story is usually pre-written. Random things can happen. Your character can die, and you have to start a new character. But the majority, vast majority of the, the story is pre-written, and you're essentially following a linear story, sometimes with branches. It is not role playing as we intend to talk about it. How we mean it in this, in the context of ludonarrative dissonance.
1: Mm-hmm. Although yeah. I'm sure there are still people playing Gloomhaven who, when their character dies, shriek, <laughs> No, Blackleaf!
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's the same as um, playing, what's, ah, uh, there's a first person, not a first person shooter, an um, isometric shooter uh, where you're shooting aliens on the PC and people get enormous, it, it's designed that your characters are will die after a certain amount of time. People get enormously attached to them. I know there's Um, a
0: lot of like permadeath video games uh, like that, uh, but like if you lose your if you die you lose everything that your character had. So, um, but yeah, in terms of role playing games, um, one one thing um, we've talked about systems that like use cards very heavily, but there's there are some role playing games that use cards like as like they use dice as the main randomization method, but then there are there's this one or a couple systems that use cards as. For this one thing, for example, Savage Worlds uh, uses dice and but they use cards for initiative Um, and in the initiative system, uh, every wild card, a wild card is a player character or like a named enemy PC in in PC um, draws a, a card. But if you have special abilities, edges, you can draw additional cards. Um, allies, you know, act on the player initiative, extras all work as a group. And basically whatever you draw is your initiative. Uh, But if you draw a Joker, you get a bonus. The GM starts around by counting down from ace down to two with each group resolving his action when its card comes up. And sometimes you can keep that secret or like, so you don't know exactly who's going next ahead of time. And ties are resolved by suit, you know, spades Mm -hmm. are first, then hearts then diamonds and then clubs. Um, and everything else in Savage World is dice based, but they for for that one thing they use uh, cards.
2: Now uh, that's I, interesting. Yeah. I think isn't that because Savage Worlds is based on the Deadlands engine, um, which was also also had a very similar card mechanic, as I as I recall in the dim day d- distant past. But it was idiomatically appropriate in Deadlands because it was poker. It was you know you were cowboys in in their version of the weird west playing, you know, poker or gambling. Um, yeah. And then, but it worked well, so it's carried over into the Savage Worlds system. Yeah. Uh, um, it, yeah.
0: I do know that one of the player character um, types in Deadlands was called, I think, a Huxer. The hucksters They yeah. were
1: card, card-based card wizards, and you had to gamble against otherworldly entities. So anytime, and I, I only played first edition Deadlands like one time, but I remember oh, okay, the Huckster's doing their thing, so the rest of us, just, you know, everything else just kind of takes a little pause. It was like uh, in Cyberpunk where it's like, oh, okay, Netrunner's doing his thing. Everyone else, bathroom break, get your cold drink, take a little stretch.
0: <laughs> I never played Deadline, so I don't know exactly, like did the Huckster actually use playing cards as part of yes, that? Yes, they it- played poker. Oh, Okay. Was it like a hand in order to determine if you they got a power up or something I think you
1: had to get, I, this was ages ago, yeah. but I think it was that you had
2: to get a specific hand or better to get the effect you wanted. Um, Listeners yeah. may be able to discern that we don't actually rehearse narrative <laughs> dissidents. We just kind of make it up. But okay, uh, yeah, sense. I've never played Deadlands either, to be honest. I did read it back in the day, but at a time when I was reading a lot of role-playing games, so may have mm-hmm. details confused.
0: I, although uh, it does remind me there is another Western RPG um mm. that I have skimmed through I've not I, I've skimmed through it at like con shows and things uh, Aces and eight uh, this is put out by Ken oh. Company.
1: Shane Ivey loves him some aces and eights. If I recall correctly,
0: it is an extremely dense book. It is uh, a, you know, one of those bullet stopping kind of hardcover books. The thing about it is uh, one of the things I know is that the, the way to determine hit location is through uh, what they call a shot clock system where there's like an overlay uh, of the 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 person you're shooting at their silhouette and whether they're behind cover or whatever, and then you draw cards to determine where you actually hit, so like there's yeah, yeah you a aim
1: template. yeah there's a clear template and you aim at the you you position like the center of it over like, okay, I want this to go right into his left eye, and then it gives you a result, and if you get a good enough result, it's like yep, left eye. And if it's not good, it's like, oh well, no, he clipped his ear. Oh well, nope, that just that's just a miss. That just went into the wall behind him. Mm-hmm. So I can see where if you want real emulation, if you're if you love use some emulation, I can see why you'd love that.
0: Yeah, um, I do know. Yeah, they even include entire systems. Like it's a very dense system in terms of its subsystems. Like there's special cattle, uh, you know. Uh, uh, rules for for moving a large herd or for some doing some cattle rustling um, there's including wow. gambling where you just play cards like yeah. uh, it is um,
1: why would you not
0: why would you not exactly um <laughs> you know a lot of stats for horses um but it, that's i don't see that a whole lot in terms of like this is this rpg
1: uses dice except for this thing which uses cards it, it is general well okay i can think of one um whimsy cards um this was well this was uh you know what i came up with for why it's used and mm. if you're unfamiliar with whimsy cards they are uh they're old and they had a a series of just sort of generic plot developments on them like uh someone unexpected sh- unexpected shows up or the weather changes violently uh, or my favorite, someone falls in love. And the way we used these, I remember the wonderful use of these in Jonathan Tweet's original Over the Edge games was at the beginning of the game, you would get a handful of like four, four of these, three or four of these plot twists. And you could play them at any time. And the rule was, if you played one of these to help your character Great, the card's gone. If you play it to make things more interesting for somebody else's character, you draw a replacement. And so now you are motivated to screw your neighbor because if you have a card that is bad, you're like, oh, man, I got to ditch this and get something that'll save my life at the final fight. So Mm -hmm. sorry, man, you just slipped and fell. Uh oh, sorry. I guess you're drunk, Angela. Uh, <laughs> and you know, and it'd be like, okay, uh, what am I gonna uh? He falls in love with me. <laughs> Suddenly, he can't he can't bring himself to to stab me because I'm too delicious. So, um, and this is why I, you know. So, uh, I I I see this as something you can't do with dice. Because dice are just numbers, uh, by and large. And these whimsy cards were very specific texts that had no numerical value, but were just plot developments. Mm -hmm. And the thing I I said before, you know, with cards, you choose when to deploy it. uh, You know, as opposed to with the dice when uh, it's just it happens when it happens
0: the three things we just talked about the the savage worlds aces and a uh and whimsy cards are also all things that like are not incredibly they take time to resolve but like they're things that don't happen all the time so like savage you know initiative you do that at the beginning of combat and then it's done uh you don't you don't do combat all the time when you do combat all the time you don't you actually hit somebody um so that but in a combat focused game, you kind of want some tension there. And then whimsy cards are dealt at the beginning of the game and then come up sporadically. So, um, they, I think card mechanics, a lot of times slow down play and that's not necessarily bad because it gives you time to pause and think. And like you say, you, you deploy them strategically.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that was another one of my points is, Mm -hmm that well or actually it's for how does it affect play is it makes planning and deliberating and bluffing possible. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So um yeah. but you know, sure are we into why is it used
2: now? Well yeah. I'm still I've got a couple of other ways of, of oh, how oh, yeah.
1: it's you've got uh, more you're you're still back on can yeah. catch up James it's, Come
2: As on. as stuff, to represent yeah. stuff. And we're going way back to I think nineteen eighty three and the A D monster cards here, which I mm. think is Based on no research other than personal memory, I think it's the first time that role playing games and um, card games or cards dall- dallied together. And they were literally each card was a D&D, a D&D monster with the monster's stats on the back. You can buy them, you didn't get the whole 300 of the cards in the monster manual. I think they came in decks of 30 or 40. I could be wrong. I had a couple of them. Um, but the advantage of that is that if you're running a scenario, uh, either one that you've written yourself or, or the one that you've bought, and you know that four or five monsters are likely to come up in the session, you can just have those cards in front of you. You don't have to put your bookmarks in the Monster Manual. You don't have to flip in between pages to get to it. And it was all right. It did not set the world on fire. But, and this is what we did with Paranoia, and in fact, it's also what um, the Ghostbusters game, which I mentioned before, did. Ghostbusters had two or three I forget exactly how many sheets it was. And this was, again, this was, I mentioned cards in the 90s. A lot of them were just die-cut on regular cardstock. In the 80s, these cards came in perforated sheets, and you had to separate oh. them yourself. And you couldn't, you know, you cannot shuffle a deck on uh, that's set up oh, on perforated sheets. They We're, the worst. Um, we're so spoiled now, and we, we deserve to be. We deserve these nice things. People don't know they're born. Um, so, Yeah. It's but most of what the cards in the deck were—they were, they were uh, your character sheets, NPC sheets, or PC sheets if you wanted to play the characters from the movie. But then there were equipment cards, um, and it was all the standard stuff that you'd expect. You could get your know, proton pack and your PK meter, and a copy of Tobin's Spirit Guide, um, and some non-standard stuff like the the bullhorn, which allows you to be louder than anyone else. But there were two of them. I love that. <laughs> And uh, the card just really just it. that That's just said beach beach kit doubles fun at beach. No uh, further <laughs> explanation required. Ghostbusters, the, I, if, I I can talk endlessly about the Ghostbusters game. It is a work of absolute absolute genius, and the fact that it's you know because it's a licensed game you can't buy it anymore except ruinous collector's prices is is a crying shame because it is so good and so funny.
1: Never um, seen it. Never played it. Never touched it. I've, never read it.
0: I've seen supplements for it for sale at uh, Gen Con, you know, like, um, I think I have one of the supplements, but I've never seen the main game. Uh, it was actually written by Sandy Peterson, Lynn Willis, and Greg Stafford. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was,
2: That's the thing. It was developed by the Chaosium crew. Holy. It was so it's edited, like, yeah. this is like one of those 70s supergroups. Yeah. Edited by Greg Kostikian at West End and published yeah. by West End. It's, it is a supergroup it's it's and it 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 pays off it is that good um so you get all these equipment cards and i think the game just says draw three and and you've got them in front of you but you know they can get destroyed or if it's a one use item you hand it in at the end and i think that's so but again you don't have to look stuff up in in the rule book and then you get games like what we did with paranoia or warhammer third edition a lot of the fantasy flight role-playing games with cards um where the cards represent stuff that is in the rulebook, but you don't want to waste the session flipping through the rulebook, particularly if there's only one of them. You've just got mm-hmm. it in front of you. It's much more accessible. It's much easier. You know immediately what your character can do. You know what each of the spells can do. You know what all the equipment can do. Um, and it allows the publisher to sell decks of cards, which, of course, ramps up their profit margin. It, but it does it changes the dynamic. Suddenly you're not focused entirely on the character sheet. You're focused on actual stuff. And as I said, with Paranoia, this is what we did not only with equipment, but also with your secret society. So you knew a bit about your secret societies and um, your uh, mutant powers as well. Mm-hmm. So you knew the details of your mutant power. And I believe, I think each mutant power is unique. So you knew you didn't have the same mutant power as anyone else, which worked uh, quite nicely. Um, that is, yeah, that's, what card, that's cards being carried. Yeah. So, so that is, is not dissimilar. Um, and then there's one other example I, I want to use where we're talking about using them mechanically, uh, which is just using cards for combat. And again, delving slightly back into history, there's uh, Lace and Steel. I don't know if you guys know Lace and Steel. It's an Australian I've game from heard 1989. Of it. It is, this is another one. It's it's a work of Rare Genius. It is still available. It's five bucks on drive-thru, um, which is a... Five dollars. Do. Five dollars. It was a box set originally. Um, and it's set, essentially, it's the Three Musketeers in a fantasy world, but it's not elves and dwarves fantasy. It's centaurs and satyrs and fairies fantasy. Um, oh. Artwork by Donna Barr, which is just glorious. Um, Donna and- Barr. Why do I know that name? The Desert Rose, okay, comic—the one where it it was the gay Rommel comic. Um, I yeah. At a time before there were many of things things like that. Um, Yeah, it's the game is a hoot, but quite apart from the the setting being lovely and the rules being lovely, it has two or three decks of cards, and you play because combat is almost always sword fighting or magical duels or uh, repartee—you know, verbal dueling. You use cards using a similar system to fight these things. And it just, it makes combat very special somehow. Tactical, interesting. It's not the greatest system mechanically, but then you're not looking at it as a a solo, a standalone game. All it has to do is carry the atmosphere of the game and create the right game effects, which it does. Um, and this is 1989 this is pre-castle Falkenstein, which a lot of people think of as the first role-playing game that used cards um effectively um mm-hmm. and Falkenstein is lovely as well fantastic early fairly early mike pondsmith stuff just gorgeous mm-hmm. um but lace and steel if you've got five bucks burning a hole in your pocket well worth a look um the decks of cards used to be on drive through but i think you now have to download them as as jpegs or pdfs or Something, but anyway, oh. yeah. Uh, but those those are a free free download at the moment. Uh, Paulie Kidd is the designer, uh, Australian designer, uh, absolutely very very underrated. Working on a new game that I haven't seen, uh, which is also card based, and I know very little more about it. Very oh, little today. about it than that.
0: Yeah, I think um, the the virtue of having cards in in sort of like as gear or options, and um, like a lot of role playing games, especially the more complex ones, give there's actually there's this sort of like you get so many abilities and skills and talents and feats and spells and items that you lose track of them or you forget about them. Um, and uh, but if you boil everything down to like a handful of cards, you can remember what your character can actually do uh, far more easily, you know, as opposed to like, I'm a 10th level wizard in D and have 28 spells available at any given time. I'm only going to, I can only cast one per round. But like I'm all g- going to forget about a lot of them. And uh but why you did have- you
1: not save me with poison ward? Oh man, I forgot I had poison ward. Shit. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it happens a lot. And I think that's
0: uh, and also with cards you can do trading. You can uh, like I said discard. Um. So uh, and and certainly with combat too, especially in a game about dueling. It sounds like for Lace and Steel, like that you you either win or you don't. And it's so there's there's a very like you you have to make a choice, and it's very. Granular. It's very granular, as opposed to like, oh, I lost yeah. eight hit points, you know, a yeah. yard.
2: No, I mean, you can have dramatic. It's, it's, an, the cards have numbers on them. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think they particularly have effects. I think there's kind of, you know, a few mm-hmm. sort of moves, but there yeah. aren't things like, you know, it, I, I rip your sleeve open and, you know, send your wig flying. That That's not there. That was, like I say, this was a game from the 80s. Um, we weren't. It's, it is extraordinary. We weren't before. wig snatching yet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wig snatching came in in 1994, I believe. <laughs> yeah. I'm, just, I'm just talking balls as
0: usual. Uh, no, I mean, there are, like, you mentioned Falkenstein is, like, the first sort of card-based uh, RPG. Now... Um, I think the first
2: one that a lot of people were aware of. Yeah, so, yeah.
0: yeah, it
1: was certainly, uh, yeah,
2: uh, first one anyone cared about.
0: Yeah, I mean, it certainly did well enough that you, you know, I've I've seen it in in stores, I've in the used section, obviously, but like it, it is still it is out there. As a game people are aware of, um, but there's still like RPGs being made uh, that are entirely card based. Um, <laughs> I actually worked on one um, not too, a couple years ago with uh, Upwind, uh, which was written by Jeff Barber, who designed Blue Planet. Um, and it's sort of high fantasy, like airships. Um, it's literally like, there's just floating islands. There's no like continent per se, uh, you sky ships to get everywhere. So it's very anime kind of studio Ghibli uh, fantasy. What it's gimmick, well, not gimmick, but sort of idea was instead of rolling or using cards to determine every faucet of the encounter, like initiative and then attacking before you did anything, you would set the stakes of an entire encounter. Like, you're fighting some bad guys. Okay, well, I want this to happen by the end of the fight. Well, the GM says, well, okay, well, if you fail, then this will happen. And um, it's not like you're dying. You would like, oh, the GM says you get wounded and you lose your sword and you you escape, but barely. And then you would make a play as a card. thing that
1: could happen.
0: Yeah. Well, it depends. So you can make it like the player says, oh, I want to do this incredibly awesome thing. Well, okay. well, if you fail this incredibly awesome thing, then the stakes will be higher um, or I'll set the difficulty higher. Um, So once the stakes are negotiated, um, then each side plays one to three cards, the player. Has uh, three cards if they if it's one of their best abilities, or so one card if it's one of their worst abilities, uh, and they have a hand of cards. They actually have two hands of cards: one for their magic and one for everything else. Mm-hmm. So everyone actually has their own uh, deck of playing cards, and the GM mm. um, uses one to three cards based on the difficulty of the encounter. Uh, you know, one if it's easy, and three, um, and then you just flip your cards at the same time and count them up. Whoever has a higher number wins the encounter. Um, and then there are rules to, like, peop- uh, assisting players can throw in one card. Uh, and so the GM can sort of, like, determine if it's going to be very hard or very easy uh, by, like, I can choose which cards in my hand I get to do. I can get rid of my shitty cards or I can drop down some high cards to to really make it a challenge yeah. for them.
1: Put um, the fear of God in them.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it plays very differently because, again, they, they said... We're going to inter- determine the entire encounter in one go, uh, but it the system is very interesting. I'm I'm being very brief with its uh, description because it uses suits, it uses numbers. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the, no.
1: There's lots of different angles you can wring meaning out of your randomizer with yeah. with cards, yeah. mm-hmm. and it sounds like you know he's your designer is well aware of that.
0: Yeah, and everyone and what I found interesting is that everyone has their own deck of cards. Um, mm. so as opposed to everyone sharing one deck of cards, I'm not sure if too many right. games actually do the, ah. everyone. Yeah.
1: So. Well, okay. Can I, can I natter about gates of ivory again? So oh, far? please do. Yeah, Cause yeah. one of the things I, I wanted with that is, uh, that, okay. So you're going to have a hand of cards and, uh, you use the Trump, the the minor arcana for normal stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are a wizardy type, you also draw cards from the major arcana. And the way I've got it set up is like, okay, you're going to study one major arcana and you can play any car, any arcana card to get like the kind of twerp version of that effect. But if you have the actual card, you know, it's like, oh, I know the Empress as the, I have Empress energy. So I can play any major arcana to get the, the little weenie empress effect. But if I have the empress card, I can play it for the giant kaboom empress effect. And so what this does is it it the mechanics themselves give you your wheezy, distracted wizard. Because if I'm playing a wizard, I want to have most of my hand full of major arcana cards so that... I can pull my Empress effect when I need to. Or if I have several effects, I'm like, I can power any of these and have an increased chance of getting the big one. But that means I have fewer cards for my everyday effects, for, you know, my Swords effects and Cups effects. Uh, So that, I thought that was a a neat bit of self-balancing along with your hand in this system. Your hand is your hit points, So as you take damage, your hand shrinks and when you drop your last card, you can no longer act.
0: Oh, that actually that. happens in upwind too. Like when oh, you, cool. you, you lose
1: parallel yeah, you lose. evolution,
0: your hand size decreases. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's it's a fun. It's a really fun game. It's really interesting to design that or, adventures for.
1: Yeah. That yes. or barber is reading my mind, and Jeff, if you're <laughs> reading my mind, stay out of there. There's yeah. stuff you don't want to see. Um.
0: Yeah, uh, one side effect of the do an entire counter at once uh, means you get through a lot more story in one game session. Yeah, you know,
1: it, well, I imagine. Yeah. As you were describing it, I'm like, I bet that just clips right along.
0: Yeah, so you could do like masks of Nairloth as a campaign in like five, like five sessions. Wow. <laughs> yeah, Pro- I'm guessing. Yeah, like, yeah.
2: I've I've got one more, which is a, a oh, yeah. one of my unpublished uh, card games, <laughs> uh Show. Which is, um, it was going to be a Hogshead release, and we couldn't make the numbers add up because this was like 2002, and mm. card printing was was financially very different. I remember
1: you talking about this, only the working title was Put Your Trousers on Your Nick.
2: Get Your Trousers on Your Nick, which is basically, the, it's pretty much the opening line of The Sweeney, the seminal British 1970s cop show. And it was... A, <laughs> it was It wasn't a game about being a cop in the 70s. It was about being a cop in a cop show in the 70s and the 80s. Um, And it was a single session campaign game, but each game was an episode of the the TV show, basically. And your character sheet was the character generation. I've forgotten this. The character generation system, we lifted, I lifted entirely and dropped into the Paranoia reboot. It's the Paranoia reboot, (laughs) which is the one where you shaft... You every time you take an ability, the person sitting next to you gets the same ability, but as a negative. So if you're good at something, the guy next to you is bad, as bad at it as you are good at it, and everyone else then can't take it because it's they're just average at it. So you get a group with strengths and weaknesses, and. um, yeah, it works incredibly well. I was so pleased with that.
1: Um, are you are, are you familiar with uh, character generation in Best Friends, which is not card based? So I'm digressing, but uh, no, I'm not. Uh, so this is Gregor Hutton's game from a million years ago, but I loved. Mm. Char- and it's about being a group of girlfriends, right? Not yeah. romantic girlfriends, but you know, f- girls who are friends with each other and character generation is you've got the list of the other girls names and you're like i am jealous of so and so because she's better than me at x mm-hmm. and you just Ooh. go around saying the things that you're jealous of each other and that's character generation so if everyone agrees that they're gener- that so four people are playing and all three of them say I'm jealous of Janice because she's richer than me. Then Janice has wealth three and, you know, zero in intelligence and everything else. And so it, I just thought it was a lovely way to, and you, so everybody's ranked and everybody already has that
2: mean girl energy going in. (laughs) That's, that's great. I'll Uh I'll have to to get a copy of that. I have most of Gregor's stuff. I don't have that one. Um, But, yeah, but the mechanic of, of cop show will get your trousers on your, your neck there's a deck of cards, mm-hmm. basically. And each card has a cliched cop show action, like skid over the bonnet of the car, fire mm-hmm. pistol from behind open car door, drive through pile of cardboard boxes in alley, that kind of thing. <laughs> and also a saying, a cliched saying, um, which can become a, a catchphrase. And the way it works is you start off with, I think, no action points. So your first encounter with the bad guys, you are going to lose. You are going to fail. But every time you can play one of these cards by doing the action on it or saying the thing on it so that it fits what's going on, you get to flip the card over and it becomes an action point. Oh. And, then, and the mechanic is quite simple. You will fail at an action. Uh, you, you succeed at any action that's reasonable to do unless you are going up against the bad guys, in which case you will fail unless you pay an action point, in which case you succeed. It's a very simple, very narrativist system. But you've got to, to bulk up your, your action points by playing the cards as you go through the, the game. And, and creating the this sense of being in a seventies cop show because so you you're running absolutely the yeah, the that's to, the game. You absolutely have to not be creative. <laughs> well, you have to be. You have to work out how to fit these things into the game. You have to engineer yourself into a situation where you can crash through the plate glass window in a believable way. At uh, that kind of thing. Um, but that. I mean, the cards there absolutely drive the mechanics. They're very, you know, they're at the heart Mm -hmm. of of the game, um, and they create a lot of the game effects, and they create the narrative as well, which I don't think it overlaps with some of the things we've already talked about, but doesn't. Isn't yeah. quite the same, um, right? The
0: uh, the card flipping in particular, I think we haven't really talked. There's not uh, a lot yeah. that involve like flipping <coughs> cards, which especially if you're using custom cards, you can. That's double the card. <laughs> like, you, yeah. there's a lot of things you can do with that. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I, as a brief aside, uh, your mention of Ghostbusters actually reminded me of a, a game I played once uh, the the Bullwinkle and Rocky uh, role playing oh, game. Uh, never seen
2: which, a copy of that. Never ever.
0: Uh, they're actually not too expensive, uh, on eBay wow. if you're looking for them, but they have story cards, uh, to help to determine like what of the pre-designed plots you'll be playing through. Um, mm. and interestingly enough uses spinners instead of dice, uh, for random numbers <laughs> and was actually how, covered- how very 18th century. Yeah, well, I mean, like, uh, 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 it was actually co-written by Warren Spector, who mm. uh, became a video game designer uh, for a number of legendary games, including Deus Ex, Ultima, Underworld, Thief, Thief. Uh, yeah. uh, System Shock. Um, and so, yeah, another, like, sort of, like, kids, light, boxed RPG from the 80s, written by, yeah, one of the, the uh, all-time great he, he did Tune as well. He
2: did Tune for Steve Jackson.
0: That's right. Yeah, you did. Um, So, yeah, very, very interesting. Um, What I'm
1: gathering from this is the route to all financial success is by designing licensed property kids RPGs. That's the the winning move that turns you into a superstar.
0: I mean, look at Avatar. Uh, (laughs) Avatar did very well. Uh, for, you know, their Kickstarter did what? $10 million, $11 million, something like that.
2: Um, Oh God. Yeah.
0: Cards. uh, I think like we've talked about like some things where like cards are just things, accessories to help sell the game, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, They're just shiny. Yeah. Mm. Um, but at their best card mechanics add depth and like a slower pace because I think a lot of rpgs get into like let's just roll dice i roll the hit i roll damage you roll you roll the hit and then you roll damage and then i roll number um but like cards force you to the players i think to like consider their options and really focus it on like a small number of options but are strategically like
1: strategically interesting and meanful. meaningful yes yeah
0: exactly i think and i think that's the cards at their best um, I don't think every game, obviously, that uses cards uses them in that well. But like,
1: I think <laughs> it's well, it's it's like the loudspeakers again, you know. Yeah, and they can't all be the best. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. It's I mean, uh, role playing games fundamentally use dice, or at least began using dice because they derived from role from war games, which also used dice. I mean, that was mm-hmm. where that came from. And it's only more lately that war games have gone out have some war games have started using cards and and done them to great effect. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know where I'm going with this, but I think it's a point that was worth making. Uh,
0: A lot of war games now use cards as well. Um, Like one of my friends is in Warhammer 40k, the uh, uh, game, and they Mm. use cards for help determining missions and special abilities. Um, uh, You know, like you, you, you draw your, your, from your mission deck to determine like what kind of mission you're going to be fighting. So you don't even know what the objective is until you get to the table. Um, I think a lot of designers now are realize cards like, because the economics have changed, like, now mm-hmm. designers are integrating them into games. Oh, uh, I could much, use these. Fact, yeah. Maybe I will.
2: Yeah. Yes. It's kind of in, in a way that games would previously have probably used random tables. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. cards are a lot more interesting, and you can fit a lot more information on a card yeah. in a much um, more accessible and interesting way. Like one of the
0: games, speaking of random tables uh, for cards, like one of the games I saw on uh, the latest bundle is the mystery creature of Claytonville, Pennsylvania. Um, and the idea is it is meant to emulate like the, the, the genre fiction about like a weird small town where there's a, you know, the Mothman's doing some shenanigans or it's Twin Peaks or, or Gravity Falls or like something bad's going on in this town.
1: Mothman uh, shenanigans, or as we call them, moth and <laughs> you—it's a storytelling. D- <laughs> it was, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it's a game for up to seven players, and it's a storytelling game about creating the entire town and the protagonist instead of it, like instead of the GM and everyone else is a player in the small town, uh, um, everyone sort of has a hand. So it's more like the quiet year in this regard. It's sort of like right. more, which we did talk about and does use cards. Um, in fact, uh, but like they have a thing to create the town for the first step, you create the town, you deal five cards out, go around choosing a card uh, and then you answer that question. Um, so with five players, so if you draw a red, you look at the town table. If you look at black, it's about the creature. And so like uh, a red four is what better days has this town seen? And why are they long gone? And a black four would be who was the first person to encounter the creature. Um, mm. And then if two people get, the, you know, two people get a red four, like then you can answer the question again, but go into more depth uh, about like, why is the town? Uh, what better days has the town scene? Why are they long now gone? So like you can, you can elaborate on it. So, Um, that's a way to use cards as a, uh, random table. Um, and I see that a lot now. Like another one that I did, uh, recently read was raccoon sky pirates, which uses, uh, random cards, uh, playing cards, uh, as like, okay, this is this complication. You get a three of them, uh, and you can play them to succeed at a task, but make everything more difficult for all the other raccoons on your skyship. Um, oh so, so like, you
1: screw your neighbor
0: yeah so you we're, screw your neighbor we're yeah. back
1: to whimsy cards and the joys of screwing your neighbor yes
0: yeah exactly yeah. so uh, <laughs> there's nothing new under the sun like if you think you came up with the original game mechanic I think that's maybe the main theme of this is like every game mechanic possible was developed in the 70s or 80s possibly by Greg Stafford <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> and you just haven't seen it yet
0: you just haven't seen yep. it yet Um. so Um. but yeah I, I think I, I'm kind of curious about like what kind of games have done it badly. Uh, I mean, maybe we're just kind of self-selecting mm. for the good games.
1: Well, like- I mean, yeah. As soon as I play a bad game, I flush it out of my mind, and I'm like, well, oh, bye. Well, you can learn
2: so much from bad games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I used you can to can learn how to be of- sad. <laughs> I used to have a huge collection of really, really bad role playing games. Um, oh God! No. Including Spawn of Fashion and and stuff like that, um, mm-hmm. which is not as bad as it's supposed to be. It's just inept. Um, yeah, it's you. One can really learn a lot by going. Yeah, okay, I understand. Don't do that. Don't do. Oh, I understand how I could fix this and how I could make this this better. It's a really interesting design discipline to to look at broken stuff and work out how how it could be fixed. Yeah. Um, that said, I can't think of that many games that fluff cards really badly.
0: I think the, the, the sort of commonality is like every card mechanic we've talked about has been significant. Like it, it's some, not something to do like draw a card to figure out how much damage you do when like you do one, one uh, you know, if the enemy is 100 hit points and you're drawing playing cards to do damage
1: to him like that would be. Yeah. You're going to be there for a while. Yeah, if You're going to be mean, there for
0: a while, yeah. Everything is like consequences
1: yeah if you're going to design lazily you're not going to use cards because you're just going to retread what everyone else always did which is dice mm-hmm. i'm sure yeah. if, if there's an alternate universe where dice where cards were the primary driving force of role-playing games from yeah, there well,
2: was a huge bridge enthusiast
1: there it is and uh, you know where all the the media where a lot of mediocre stuff is uh card based yeah. So we just yeah. didn't have that because if you wanted to break with tradition and used cards, you were probably motivated to try and do something innovative.
0: That's true. Um, yeah. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I I mean, I guess probably there are some of these RPGs out there that I, I know, like one of the editions of Warhammer fantasy uses a lot of cards, uh, custom cards. Yeah. Third, I think. Yeah. Um, and, mm-hmm. I've heard mixed things about it, uh, but, you know, you hear mixed things about every big RPG out there, so mm-hmm. I don't know how truthful they are. But um, certainly it seems some of the, the, the RPGs out there you, that use card decks, custom card decks, are just trying to sell accessories, which
1: it is a business. That uh, would be the, yeah, that would yeah. be the the royal road to beefing it would be, oh, well, you know, I, I want these not because of their mechanical effect, but because of their marketing potential,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, you know, and then have rarities, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's, it's, we just, we want it to be like Magic the Gathering, only a role-playing game.
2: It's worth pointing out that before Magic the Gathering came along, cards were kind of a a very disregarded area of gaming, of of Mm -hmm. the gaming hub. There were a few card games out there, but once upon a time launched at the same Gen Con as Magic in 1993. And, You could probably count the number of card game launches there on one hand. Mm -hmm. I can think of one other, which was another fantasy fantasy game where you kind of wandered around a forest, um, and may, you know, maybe a couple of others, but it's, it's a long time ago. But magic just transformed the landscape and co- suddenly people were into cards and people, retailers in particular and publishers, understood that cards would sell, particularly cards with lovely art on them. And the quality of artwork on cards has just gone be- got better and better and better and better. better. Mm-hmm. Until um, mm-hmm. these days, I mean, the, how many fantasy artists were there in, in the early 90s? People who made a living doing fantasy art. Uh -uh. really not if if you weren't working for TSR at the time it's probably or doing book covers yeah that was it those were your two options yeah yeah Yeah. it's it's an extraordinary the transformation of the landscape and a lot of those people are doing card art because there is a massive demand for it Uh, you only have to look at the big living card games that come out of, of Fantasy Flight Huge numbers of cards, regular demand for, for artists to work on them, and they are glorious. They are just absolutely beautiful, depending on your, your personal value of, of beautiful, obviously, you know, the Eldritch, um, the Arkham Horror stuff. Not everyone's taste in beauty. Greg, I imagine you're all over them. But, um,
1: <laughs> uh, those old magic cards from Anson Maddox, yeah.
2: Yeah, anyway. Um, just a point. People really like cards. People like buying cards. They cards are fun. They're fun to hold, yeah. fun to manipulate, fun to remember. Um, it's they they have an appeal. Dice, the appeal is similar but different. Um, the tactility is, is different. Dice are tactile cards. You yeah. gawk at. Yes. Um,
0: yeah. I, I yeah. I would say like cards are much harder to design for in a lot of ways because. When you're doing a dice-based role-playing game, you know what the probability of your mechanics are. You know you should know what the probabilities are pretty early on, and they're going to stay pretty fixed. You know, but like when you're dealing with like a deck of fifty-two cards, and like the players drawn eight, and then they get to add one or they get to discard five, and they put you know, like at any given time, it would be impossible to keep track. It would be very hard to design a game. Um, where you understood the probability of a, you know, uh, like Upwind. Like, every player has their own deck of cards. They draw a different amount of cards based on whether they're wounded or not. The GM draws cards based on these circumstances. Like, it would be very hard to figure out probability at any given segment of play. Yeah.
1: For the GM, to the players, uh, you know, if I've got my own card deck and I'm not worrying about anyone else's deck, I can yeah. probably have, you know, even just a very baseline intuitive mode i've seen a lot of red cards probably the rest of the deck is going to be a lot of black cards Mm -hmm. and you know and and adjust my tactics accordingly yeah so i mean it's not impossible you don't have to be rain man to do it
0: (laughs) that's true um you know but thinking about designing card-based rpgs or not card-based per se, but using cards. Um, There is a trend in computer RPGs of using uh, cards. Um, Mm. There's a whole category now called deck builders. Um, Slay the Spire is a very popular one. And the idea Uh. is all your abilities are uh, cards and you build a deck of cards to represent what your character can do. Uh, and that's what your treasure, that's what your loot is for killing enemies is you get access to better cards.
1: I've wasted op- so many hours on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So it <laughs> would be interesting yeah. to see if uh, table to any tabletop RPG tries to emulate that because the problem with that is that, you know, a video game can have infinite number of cards and give you new cards and take away cards and like um, handle all the probability and shuffling and everything else like that. That's a lot harder to do in a tabletop environment. <laughs> like, uh, yep. so yeah, I, I think I think,
2: think, think they have. I think you talked about it earlier on. I think essentially it's Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven, which oh, yeah. I've I've not played, but I have watched, and it uh, f- appeared to be like playing Diablo on a very 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 slow computer. Um, <laughs> yeah, but a lot For of the. Sure. the The deck builders, they go back, the digital ones go back to Hearthstone, the the Blizzard game that derives from the World of Warcraft background, Mm -hmm. but is a deck-building game uh, on screen. Um, And Hearthstone did, Blizzard did what Blizzard always do. They took inspiration, and I use my uh, words very carefully there, took inspiration from another market-leading property, in this particular case, Magic the Gathering, um, because it's essentially, it's how can we do a successful CCG with our property, um, in entirely digital, and it's made them probably billions of dollars by, by now. Yeah. Um, World of Warcraft, of course, famously um, is is you know clearly inspired by uh, a, a love of the Warhammer universe um, mm-hmm. to almost meticulous detail in some, in some places. Um, but what Blizzard, do. Blizzard, and I'm being very careful originality is not blizzard strong suit what a strong suit is is polish because my god their stuff is polished it's so good it's so brilliantly balanced it's so brilliantly designed to be engaging to suck you in my story with with world World of warcraft is i was a games consultant at the the time i was i got sucked into it and um, i came down with what i knew was a three-day flu and it was like okay this is brilliant perfect timing i'll download the world of warcraft demo um I will play it solidly for three days while I get over this thing, and which will tell, teach me all I need to know, really, about the World of Warcraft so I can speak knowledgeably about it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, you know, then I'll just delete was... it off my system. Two years later, I'm running a guild. Uh, Cory Doctorow <laughs> was in my guild at one point. Um, it's because his, his wife was a, a long standing member of the guild. I was speaking about it at conventions and conferences. Yeah, I got sucked in. I did not want to get sucked in. I didn't mean to, but they are really, really good at that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And yeah, it's a, it's a very hooky mechanic that, that style of, you know, move forward in, not only in the narrative, but your character becomes more powerful. You get more interesting kit, more interesting stuff. You can represent that with physical cards or you can represent it with digital cards. Doing it with digital cards is a lot cheaper. Um, Mm -hmm. Pound for pound. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's the two fields feed off each other so much the digital and and the physical these days. Um, okay. you see mechanics from one cropping up in, in others all the time.
0: Oh for sure um, yeah and so I'm looking forward to see what what comes about next what kind of uh, what card based RPGs or what games that use cards because um, there's a difference between card-based and just having card mechanics. Right. Um, yeah, so... Uh, but I'm looking forward to see what, what comes next. Uh, there's a lot of uh, potential um, in just 52 playing cards, Deck of Tarot cards, or custom cards. Um, so,
1: yeah. Uh, any
0: any final thoughts, Greg?
1: Oh, uh, I did have one. This was another one of those, like, I don't know that anyone's ever actually done this. Uh, is It's on the... Idea of arrangeability, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I thought of was do you, who played Robo Rally. I mean, uh, men of our generation surely remember Robo Rally.
0: I've seen but, it. I've not played it. I'm, oh, so I'm, I'm the, the deal. With Quest, that, I've
1: never actually played it. Yeah. Oh, the deal with that it, it it was a board game, and you mm-hmm. had a robot, and so you had to give it a string of commands, and so you would stack these cards together, and it's like take two steps forward, turn left, take one step. You know, turn right, fire your laser. And so you were trying to thread through this maze, but everyone else was always going, was going through the maze at the same time. And you couldn't change anything once they started to move. You had to give them all their instructions in the stack and you could get, you know if your thing got hit by a laser or fell into a trap, you'd lose cards out of your stack. And so now you're not even doing what you planned. You're doing part of what you planned at random. And so I'm like, man, imagine a game that's based on say a big battlefield thing. And it's like, okay, both generals have to stack up their orders. And then you just play them out simultaneously. And, you know they come together and you can't change and adapt you just have to watch the tragedy unfold i think it could be an a, a very evocative sensation of helplessness where you're like oh i can see how they're set up and yet i know that my next move is cavalry charge shit they write mm-hmm. poems about this <laughs>
0: charge of the light 600 uh, robots uh huh? yeah yeah um so yeah that's an uh, i mean sort of a, as an aside the idea of like you know we talked a lot about the link between tabletop role-playing games and video role-playing games but like board games and role-playing games like the the the, the sheer interesting variety and depth of board games that are out there and now in the mechanics that they have um that rpgs don't really touch on as much it seems like mm.
1: Because people who design role playing games can afford board games, and people who play board games aren't designing <laughs> role playing games. Yeah, um, yeah.
0: yeah maybe it, it, it's uh, you know. I'm but sorry like, that
1: that's that yeah. probably sounded a little bitter. Huh? That that probably
0: <laughs> board games are do be expensive. Uh, they you can you can pay a lot
1: of money for them. It's all I'm
0: saying. Gloomhaven so. is like a hundred bucks. So yeah, uh, yeah, that was
2: more. Uh, I think.
0: Uh, yeah, I bought it at a Kickstarter, so there was only a hundred bucks. Uh,
2: I, I also bought the Kickstarter and the thing arrived and I opened the box the, the mm-hmm. outer box I looked at it I went mean, I will never with my young family at the time I will never be able to do this justice. Um, you know we got mm-hmm. three sessions no we didn't we got four sessions into uh, pandemic legacy season one and never got forward with this yep. and I closed up the box and sold it at a small profit on yep. eBay. Um, uh, so, yeah, that's my experience with Gloomhaven. There are, there are two two games I, I want to bring up, one of which is a pure card game, um, and one of which is a pure card solo journaling game. And, th- you know, in the last five, ten years, the definition of what is a role-playing game has, has exploded, mm-hmm. and we now have so many things, and you only have to look at some of the bundles on Itch that we were talking about um, to, to look at the sheer variety of what people are coming up with, you know, to greater or lesser effect. Some of them are brilliant. Some of them are brilliant and unplayable. But The Beast is a game that came out of Poland, I think about five years ago. you mentioned this Beast? Do you know The Beast? I
1: do not okay. know The Beast. The Tell beast me about The deck. Beast, James.
2: I believe The Beast is 50 cards. Okay. Um, we nominated it for the... It shortlisted for the Diana Jones Award a few years ago. But the idea is, it's a, it's a deck of cards. Um, you take off the first card, you take off the last card and put them to one side. You select... Just at random 30 cards, shuffle them, put the first card on the top and the last card on the the bottom. um, And then you draw one card a day, and that is a writing prompt for your journal. And the first Mm. card always reads, I have sex with the beast, it's a secret. And then oh and there's a list of prompts actually Uh, going through in, uh, in the game about. Defining bits about the beast: what its skin feels like, what it smells like, and it's clear that the beast is not natural in in any way. And so, okay, so you write this down in your diary, and you wait a day, and the next day you turn over the next card, and it will be a question or a pre- usually a question about something that happens, um, or, or yeah, or an occurrence, asking you for your reactions, and you journal that as well. And you so you do this for a month. The final card brings the relationship between yourself and the beast to a. Um, I, I use the word climax ad- advisedly. Um, yeah. It culminates anyway, and then the game is over. You put the uh, you close the journal, and you are advised to either hide it or burn it um, yeah. for for obvious reasons. And it's not the first solo journaling game. I don't know what that is. It might have been. Day Profundis because Day Profundis does have rules for solo journaling stuff, mm-hmm. um, but I'm I'm not sure. But the Beast is is just it's so out there and so demands so much of its 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 players and it's really clever and you know takes you places that you were not expecting to go in a really interesting way. And because it's fifty cards and you select thirty of them, you don't know. Even if you've been through the deck, you don't know what you going to come up. You don't know what you're going to get. You don't know what you're not going to get. That's really nice. The other game I want to talk about in terms of what role-playing games can do potentially with cards and, and stuff like that. And I talked about uh, Ghostbusters. Um, I think there is a role-playing game out there that uses Zener cards. Would Conspiracy X did Conspiracy X use Zener cards? Xena cards are the they would. The five. Uh-
1: it's i'm like that sounds really gods. on
2: brand on brand uh i'm sure i came across a, a role-playing game in the probably the mid-90s that used xenocard xenocards are the ones that you see at the start of the ghostbusters movie where bill murray is shocking a student for failing to um, read his but, mind w- yes yeah read his mind it's the one that's there's a star and a wave and, and stuff like that star square circle wave uh yeah, uh, yeah. Yes.
0: Conspiracy, uh, there's a listening an RPG geek for conspiracy X center cards so yeah what? okay <laughs> wow um, yeah no the deep pull that was yeah no idea I've,
2: but um so the game I'm thinking about the mind does not use center cards but it does take play, play of, a, of a straight card game in a direction that I've never seen another game do quite so interestingly. The Mind is very simple. It's a deck of cards, one to 100, and you deal um, round one. Wait, the, the game is called one. The Mind. It's called The Mind. It's by Wolfgang mm-hmm. Walsh, W-A-R-S-C-H, who is one of the up-and-coming big stars of the German game scene. He's got two nominees for the various Spiel des Jahres awards this, this year. Uh, Quacks of Quedlingberg is probably his best name. Um, but. Yep, uh, and yeah. he's, he's, he's fantastic. The Mind was a fairly early work, but it's it's cards numbered 1 to 100. And uh, you play it. It's a co-op. You play it over a number of rounds. Round 1, you each get one card. Round 2, you get two cards. But round 1, you've got one card. You each pick up your card and you look it, look at it. And what you have to do is play them face up in the middle of the table in number order, lowest to highest, without communicating with each other except with looks. You can't knock on... You can't say anything. You can't knock on the table a number of times. You cannot give any indication of what the number on your card actually is. You just have to kind of sense what signals you're getting from other players. And it doesn't... You describe it, and it sounds like nothing, and you play it, and it's like... I played it um, a couple of weekends ago with um, one of my kids and a couple of first-school friends and a couple of Ukrainian refugees who my, their kids' school is, is um, giving places to. And, you know, they, they had pretty good English. But at the same time, it's clear that their culture was not our culture. And there was a moment, I, as early as round three or round four, where we had a sequence of cards and people were just playing 62, 63, 64. And we look at each other and go, how did we, how did we know that the cards in our hands were one apart? It's, it is extraordinary. It's the closest thing to ESP within a game that I've, I've ever experienced. It's not. Huh. It's about tactical pauses and learning your other players' behaviors. Um, but it's really interesting. And I would love to see people take something like that and use it within a narrative structure, such as a, a role-playing game. I don't know how. If I did know how, I'd have done it. But I'm throwing that out there as a challenge. Huh, there are th- interesting things coming out of the card game world that... Role-playing uh-huh. games, I think, could run with and could do something really, really interesting with. Um, and if you can think how to do it, please go and make a million dollars. It's any set of cards number numbered one to one hundred will will suffice. If you've got one lying around, if you've got six nimitz or. Um, or well, the game, which is an earlier, I know. It's a game called the game. It's wow. People have, people have not. Yeah. I, I know. I know. Yeah. And that that got spilled as nominated as well. Yeah. That's not all of Wolfgang's. Uh, I I have
0: played that before. It is it is a lot of fun. Uh, my friend uh, Caleb Soaks has it. He's really into board games.
2: So yeah, he's, he's yeah. played it. I I really um, like the mind. I'm, yeah. I'm, it's one of my favorite games. In the uh, yeah, talk if you about could it do it.
0: Yeah, no. If you could figure out how to basically like. Dread was to Jenga as the mind, you know. Jenga's uh, mm. yeah. to dread as the mind is to blank, blank, blank. Yeah, figure fill in that blank, and yeah, you could have the next dread, which is, uh, yeah, a very successful game. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I mentioned
2: I turned it down for Hog's Yeah, <laughs> I was well, offered well. it. Right? Yeah, I know. If you so, it's, you, so it has unknown armies. I, yeah, know I was going to say, wow. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Also, there was this band called the Beatles. Uh- <laughs> yeah,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, but I published Noveless, and that that white. Yeah, out that'll
1: that'll get you credit. That yeah, that extends your credit pretty much indefinitely.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, well, uh, thanks uh, for listening this far. If you, if you are, um, please back uh, check out our Kickstarter campaign for all the rewards and uh, what role playing games we will have available uh, for you to vote on. We'll be doing voting a little differently. Um so we'll do it as one round so we'll know what all the games are we'll be reviewing after we finish the campaign um but we'll have some great uh, RPGs uh, our list is still being finalized as we record this we don't quite know yet but uh, uh there'll be some really good uh, juicy games to talk about now also a list of card uh, game mechanics uh for you to vote on for us to talk about whether it's you know initiative systems alignment um injuries dice pool uh I would love to
1: talk game- I would love to talk about alignment. Everybody wants to hear about alignment. I I, I
0: hope we (laughs) do get to talk about alignment. I mean, I want to do, like, you know, we talked about, like, we couldn't think of any... um bad systems, you know, any bad implementation of carbon kings. I can talk about some bad alignment systems. Let me tell
1: you. All you're right.
0: Um, I'm looking at you, Palladium. That's right. I'm, I'm calling them out. Uh, <laughs>
1: wow. Just saying, <laughs> just speaking the name out loud, like saying, be Haster, Are you Haster, familiar Haster? with
0: the Palladium alignment system? It is.
1: I am not. I... uh so, so you're not a fan, huh? I'm, it, I'm... It's
0: just, it's not, it's just dub. It's just like, they, okay can you compare your mol- entire morality to one of these types of movie characters are you a are you a han solo or luke skywalker or are you just a serial killer like that that's about <laughs> as as uh shades of, that that's how wow, about as, wow. Yeah, so, no, I, that, I, yeah i
2: designed for palladium and i have erased that entirely from my memory oh no it's, so, it's, i it's see my mind
0: yeah. So um, yeah. So hopefully we we'll talk about that. Um, but we'll we'll let the the backers uh, decide. Of course, all our episodes will eventually go public. Uh, but backers, we will uh, we should have a way for you to have a private RSS feed, uh, so you can download them automatically uh, as they are released instead of having to manually download them um,
1: early. And, working on uh, that. Yeah uh so
0: um but yeah that's uh please let us know what you think and uh we'll uh all hopefully talk to you a lot more uh <laughs> in the future
2: that's the dream yeah looking forward to it
0: all right all um, right bye uh bye.
2: and we're out
1: Okay, I'm back. We had a brief technical uh, Mm -hmm. difficulties thing there, which I'm sure Ross will seamlessly knit together so that the only sign of it is me saying this now. Unless I cut that. Oh! (laughs) To to lose one of my diamond words that falls precious from my lips into the waiting ears of our hearers...
2: Mm -hmm. I don't want to think about where the Era's head is
1: (laughs) How dare you